When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books with anyone and everyone. While listening to my podcast, you will hear author interviews, behind-the-scenes conversations about various aspects of the publishing world, theme discussions with other book lovers, and more. For more book recommendations and a complete list of all of my interviews, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. In 2022, I would love for you to join my Patreon group. I offer at least two bonus episodes a month and a monthly advanced read and pre-publication author chat. For those on Facebook, I host a special Patreon Facebook group where we all chat books. Thanks so much to those who already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. Today, I am chatting with Sarah Pierce about the retreat. Sarah grew up in Devon, England, and studied English literature and creative writing at the University of Warwick before completing a postgraduate diploma in broadcast journalism. The Sanatorium, her debut, was an instant New York Times bestseller and a number one Sunday Times bestseller, and was selected as a Reese's Book Club pick. The Retreat is her second novel. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Before we get started, I want to recommend another podcast that I really enjoy, that I think you will enjoy too, called Lit Up. Here's a little bit more about it. Hi. I'm Angela Ledgewood, and on my podcast, Lit Up, I chat with the writers I love about book culture, their work, and their lives. You'll hear from brilliant minds like Anne Patchett. My relationship mantra is, you are a tapestry. I do not get to pick out the threads I don't like. Trevor Noah. You have a nation that ignores its history, and when you do that, you are most likely to repeat it. And my friend, Maeve Higgins. Took me a while to even say, like, I'm a writer. I want to know what lights them up. So I ask people like Lisa Tadeo. I like to be taken by surprise by the world. Jason Diamond. I love sitting at a table with people. And Stanley Tucci. They say that the best way to a girl's heart is to her stomach. <laughs> From Sugar 23, this is Lit Up. New episodes drop every other Tuesday. Welcome, Sarah. How are you today? Yeah, very well, thank you. Here in the UK, we've got um, very sort of hot, sunny weather. So yeah, it's a very good day. I'm so glad and I'm thrilled to pieces that you're back on my show. We had so much fun chatting last time and I'm really looking forward to talking about the retreat. Oh, thank you. And just thanks for having me back on. I really enjoyed our chat. So exciting to be talking about the new one. I agree completely. As we get started, why don't you give me a quick synopsis of the retreat for those that won't have read it yet? Yeah, so the retreat is my new thriller. Um, and it's part of the Ellen Warner series, um, but it can be read as a standalone. So if you've read The Sanatorium, great. If not, it can just be read on its own. And we follow Ellen, a British detective. It's a slightly different this time. So Ellen in the previous book was kind of on a career break. Ellen this time is sort of back in role um, here in the UK. And it's a case on an island, um, a remote island off the British coastline here down in Devon, close to where I live, fictionalised version. 
And it's a luxury retreat has been built on the island. Think kind of paddleboarding, yoga, wellness activities. But the island has a bit of a creepy and dark past. It was once home to a serial killer. Um, and another sort of element of its past was it was home to a boarding school for boys with a bit of a dark history. Um, so that's sort of the backdrop. And Ellen's called to the island when a body of a woman is found on the rocks below the yoga pavilion in what seems to be a fall, but all is not quite what it seems. <laughs> so as I was reading, I was so curious about the setting and the retreat and all of it. How did you come up with this story? And was it so much fun to set something near where you live? Yeah, it really, really was. This island, actually, I've played a little bit around with its location. So here um, in Devon, it's kind of not so far off the coast. I um, mean, the book, I've obviously set it a little bit further out. So it kind of is quite hard to reach, which was fun to write. But yeah, this island's always captured my imagination ever since I was a child, really. And now my daughter's imagination, it's kind of, yeah, covered in sort of greenery and foliage. It's not somewhere that's actually inhabited. So again, I've sort of played with that in the book, but I just love the idea of islands themselves. And there's a rocky outcrop on this island, which is meant to look like a man bending over, thatching a roof. And it's actually called Thatcher Rock. And it kind of really got my mind sort of whirring. And I began thinking, how could I play with that sort of idea of the very sort of topography of the island? and weave that into the book. Um, and the idea of the sort of boys boarding school with the dark past, again, that's based on sort of local history, a boys school, which was is very, very close to our house, which has now been sort of torn down and replaced with housing. But again, that's got a very dark past. And I personally sort of love books that are, are set in sort of settings that have that sort of rich background. So yeah, it was really, really fun to write. Well, that was going to be one of my questions for you, because both the sanatorium and the retreat are set in isolated places with unsettling pasts. That must be something that really appeals to you. Yeah, it really does. I'm really fascinated by the idea as well of a sort of places that are very beautiful and dramatic, but that kind of have that sort of dark side of the past kind of ticking underneath. And I love the idea in this book, something that captured me. Ellen's boyfriend, Will, is an architect um, and he's designed this new retreat. And we kind of see the sort of play with him in the book, as we did in the sanatorium a little, where he's kind of very much focusing on the new but the past has that kind of uncomfortable way of sort of bubbling its way to the surface. So yeah, I'm fascinated by um, local history and the idea of sort of things there that we might quite not know about, which is always thrilling. And sort of the ghost of the past still being there. Yeah, absolutely. I think particularly, I don't know, maybe it's our culture now, but we are kind of, as people, kind of there's a relentless march forwards, isn't there? Um, and I think the idea, often we think we're the only ones to have thought of something or the only ones to have done something. But I just love the idea that the past, no matter how much you kind of run from it or try and ignore it, it's just there below the surface. Um, and I think as you get older, you notice that definitely a lot more as well. I think that's exactly right. And understand the importance of history a little more and maybe not getting rid of some of these older buildings and holding on to them, kind of like they did in the sanatorium where they took an older building and tried to repurpose it. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, I, I just think the idea as well that kind of, now often, sort of, particularly with history, one of the things I explored in the sanatorium is the idea that, you know, people can kind of package up the past and almost kind of like market it in a way. And I think there's sort of Will's naivety in that in thinking, oh, it might have this dark past, but kind of people will sort of forget it. As you see in the book, that very much doesn't happen. I think it, particularly if it's had a personal effect on people, it will always be there. Absolutely. So getting rid of older buildings and putting something new and shiny in its place isn't going to take care of everything. No, absolutely. I think, yeah, that kind of idea that we can package something up and kind of neatly put it to one side. I don't think that works all of the time. I think that's right. The other thing I thought was really interesting in this one is that the island itself is a character in the novel. Did you set out to make it a character? Yeah, I, 
it wasn't not necessarily kind of specifically setting out, but I think as I started writing the book, it was very, very visual to me. I could kind of walk around. I kind of actually sort of mapped and sketched out the island a little bit to sort of get the geography right. But it was somewhere that felt so real to me and really sort of atmospheric for me to write. So as the book kind of went along, it very much sort of did feel like a character, but I don't know whether it was something necessarily I set out to write it in that way. I think I was more kind of exploring initially the idea of like the building that had once been there and this new building, but it actually became the island itself and the kind of contrast. You have um, a juxtaposition at the beginning of the novel where you have the new part of the island that will sort of populated with this new building. And then you have this sort of wild, almost other half of the island that's still very much untamed. Um, and yeah, it was the, actually the land itself this time rather than the building that sort of became the focal point as a character. I was thinking a lot about that as I read, because as you mentioned, in your last book, really the building itself was the character. But in this time, I felt like it was really more the island and everything on the island. Yeah, exactly. I think you have kind of the physical representation of the past, that kind of dark sort of tangled woodland, which you sort of explore in the novel, and then sort of Will's shiny sort of new thing, which I think without giving too much away, there's sort of a storm towards the end of the novel. And you kind of see how fragile sort of his new part of the island really is against what's happening and sort of nature and again the sort of past bubbling up so that was sort of really fun to explore. And the idea that humans always feel like they can tame nature but that that never really happens. Yeah absolutely and I think for me like living by the sea it's one of those things you're aware of all the time. You often have sort of tourists perhaps coming down and they'll take an inflatable paddleboard out and kind of they're against the elements and I think you know you can have this wonderfully calm day and it's sort of turns against you. And I think when you're living somewhere very sort of close to nature, you're acutely aware that you are just sort of a very small thing. And against the power of nature, sometimes you might not come off the best necessarily. I think that's exactly right. Well, what kind of research did you do? You have a fair amount of police procedure in the book. How do you make sure you accurately depict those scenes? Yeah, that's, um, it's, it's really interesting, actually, because I don't really know anyone. I know some authors sort of perhaps have friends who are detectives, and you can kind of ask sort of, pertinent questions, but I didn't really know anyone. So I have a man who's a retired murder detective here in the UK. Um, and he actually provides a great service for authors where he advises them on police procedure. So before I even sort of started writing the novel, I sort of ran the idea past him, the idea of this sort of remote island and would Ellen really go out there and would she have someone with her, which in this case, sort of she does. And he kind of very much recommended that. And yeah, ran the initial idea past him. And then he's on hand really throughout the rest of the book when I'm sort of asking probably hundreds of questions. So I kind of email or we'll have a chat if it's something more complex to talk through. Because yeah, you're right, there's a lot of police procedure. And while, you know, everything isn't 100% accurately depicted as it would happen, because uh, things take a little bit longer in real life, everything is sort of within the, within the realms of plausibility. And that's very much thanks to him. What a fascinating second career. First, he's a murder detective, and now he consults with authors. Yeah, it's amazing. Honestly, it's so interesting. He was, you know, not only does he have stories about sort of the murders he solved, and I mean, I think he was in the force for like 30 sort of years or more. So he has a lot of stories. But um, yeah, he also then has stories, you know, around the authors he's spoken to and how his works sort of help their work. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I think it's really nice for him as a way, he kind of very much has to keep up with updates to police procedure, because obviously things change all the time, as I'm sure they do in the US. So, um, yeah, it's kind of very much keeping him in the game, as it were, which I think must be great. I just love that. Yeah, it's a lovely, lovely thing. It is. As a person with my own second career, finding something that I really enjoy, I just think it's wonderful when people are able to repurpose what they did before and go in a different direction. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of like a second wind. You're sort of taking that knowledge, but sort of giving, kind of spreading your wings in a way, aren't you? 
Exactly. Well, because you're writing a series, you develop Ellen over time as well as in each book. How has she changed since the sanatorium? Yeah, I think she's, you know, very much on a journey. Um, I think in the sanatorium, we started off in quite an unusual place, I think, for a detective where she was on a career break on vacation and very much sort of still struggling with her personal demons and professional demons. And she definitely, there is an element of that in the retreat, but she is now sort of back at work. And this is kind of the first case that her boss almost gifts her in a way. She's sort of working on secondment, working on kind of a series of sort of uh, burglaries, robberies. And yeah, she kind of is is nervous, but I think there's sort of an inner strength after solving the case in the sanatorium. I think she sort of believes she can do this and she goes into it with a slightly more sort of positive mindset. And I think also having a partner, here she has a partner, Steed, working alongside her, gives her a little bit more confidence. And I think you see throughout the book that confidence develop. I think there was quite a lot of reliance on Will in the first book. And without giving too much away, I think Will as a character most definitely evolves. And I think we see Ellen starting to perhaps rely on herself a little bit more rather than looking to that from other people. As you said, without any spoilers, Will does definitely evolve himself and that helps Ellen rely more on herself. Yeah, exactly. I think Ellen has very much sort of seen Will before as a stabilizing force and someone she very much kind of leans on. But I think she learns without giving too much away that perhaps you can't always do that. You have to sort of seek that strength within yourself. Do you have her character mapped out as you continue to write the series or does she evolve as you write? Oh my gosh, that's, no one's asked me that. It's an amazing question, actually. Um, a kind of a bit of both. I very much kind of, there's a story, secondary story arc running alongside the main plot in both books, which will come to a resolution in sort of book three, um, which is really exciting. And a similar thing with Ellen's character, but there's definitely an element as I write, she kind of interacts with characters in my new book. She's kind of a little bit further afield and meeting new people. I think she definitely evolves as the books go on. I don't think I could have every aspect of her mapped out because that's a little bit dependent on the sort of plot and how you write. I was just so curious because as I saw her change in this one and I knew you were writing a third one, I was just curious if you had all of that laid out or if you had to bob and weave as you wrote. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's definitely a mixture of two. I think I kind of know where I want her to go as a person. But yeah, kind of elements. I think characters, as you start to write them, I definitely there's a point in the book where you kind of reach a little bit of a flow state where the character kind of you you get to know them. I know Ellen really well in two books, but yeah, when you're sort of midway through writing the book, you just know that character more and more. And often they'll do things that surprise you, which is quite exciting. <laughs> that would be exciting. Well, do you feel like Ellen's with you all the time because you are writing a series and you're continuing to develop her and take her in different directions? Do you feel like she never leaves you? Yeah, absolutely. She's someone, there's definitely, people have said before, there's that aspects of, of you and Ellen. And I think any author, when you write any character, there's definitely aspects there, but she's kind of very much her own person. I'm constantly, it sounds strange, but because I've spent so much time with her, I'm constantly thinking when I'm in situations, how would Ellen react? It's very odd. And when I finish sort of writing the series, I think I'll be a little bit bereft, actually. <laughs> You'll be continuing to wonder what Ellen is doing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe I'll have to come back to her at some point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the book also focuses on a set of siblings who slowly realize they may not know each other quite as well as they think they do. How did that part of the story come along? Yeah, I, I'm. it's something I touched on a little bit in the sanatorium. and I'm just personally sort of fascinated by sibling relationships. I think you have a point kind of when you're younger and obviously geographically you're living in the same house and kind of very sort of intimate in that way and knowing each other's habits, what you're doing. And then there comes a point where you kind of separate naturally in adolescence and beyond. 
And I'm just, yeah, genuinely fascinated by the idea how much you ever really know someone. And even though you were living together as children, did you ever really know that person? There's that kind of inner world in their head that, yeah, you, you put, perhaps when you're older, you realise maybe I didn't know them as well as I thought I did. It was maybe just the fact we lived together. And yeah, I'm also sort of fascinated by the idea within sibling relationships of um, sort of sibling order and how someone's perception of each other sort of changes and evolves. And in the book, we have three sisters. And yeah, there's very much almost set roles within the family. And I've spoken to a few people who have said that's definitely me with Hannah, one of the characters, her point of view, the book's narrated from as well, where she's kind of that stabilising force and everyone sees her in that way and almost kind of takes it for granted. Uh, Yeah, and I'm just really interested how that sort of role that's set in childhood continues as an adult. I find that absolutely fascinating. I am one of two. I have a sister and I have three children. And it's just so interesting to see how roles are set so young. And while people do evolve, I don't feel like those roles, they're set young and they don't ever really seem to evolve too much unless something very drastic happens. But I think in a kind of, you know, standard family where there's not been some horrible tragedy or something like that, that you set these roles early and they don't really change. No, they really don't. I mean, I'm the youngest. I was chatting about this with someone the other day and I said, I'm the youngest and I think I'll always be the youngest. So even when I'm much, much older, it's kind of, you know, decisions are often made as a family group. And, you know, I'm the one that sort of just goes along with those family decisions. And I think, yeah, those roles will never change, probably even when I'm 80. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so interesting to me because, yes, as you grow up and you move out of the house and different things happen to different siblings, you know, things are going to change. But those roles never really seem to. Yeah. And I think when you have like a kind of family reunion as a bit, this is less a reunion, I suppose, more of a family holiday, but a chance to sort of reconnect with this family group. You definitely see that there. So they haven't really seen each other for a while, but they kind of very much fall back into their usual ways. And I think Hannah, who is the the sibling that we sort of learn the most about, I suppose, by being inside her head, I think she has this lot of sort of inner frustrations, which she usually sort of keeps buttoned up. But without giving too much away, I think on the island with tensions rising, I think we finally see the true her. (laughs) Are those birds behind you? Uh, Yes, they're seagulls. The first time I heard it, I was like, what noise is that? And then I'm like, I think those are birds. Okay, that's kind of cool. I like that. It's a seagulls. Is that okay? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Actually kind of adds to the whole interview. I'm like, that's so interesting. Yeah, they kind of nest on our roof, actually. So um, yeah, they're sort of circling around. (laughs) And it's a very much a thing of the UK coastline, these huge white seagulls, they're called. So um, yeah. (laughs) I love that. Whenever I'm interviewing people in New York City, there's always ambulances in the background. And I expect that. And so now I'm like, okay, I interview Sarah and I'm going to have seagulls in the back. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Well, what do you hope readers take away from your book? I really hope, first of all, it's kind of, I hope they find it just a really fun escape book. But I really hope they kind of get that, um, particularly, I think, probably from Hannah and even from Ellen herself, an idea that you can kind of be yourself without fear of being judged. And it's not as scary as you think it is. I think something with Hannah, I think Hannah's sort of had this inner frustration all along because she's been kind of scared to break out of the mould. And I think with Ellen as well, particularly as we saw in the first book, she's kind of very scared of showing her feelings and emotions for being judged. So I hope just via the writing, people can kind of see that actually be free to be yourself. And actually, it might be quite liberating. That's just a wonderful message, I think. And I do think that's important these days with social media and various ways that that people are perceiving what other people are like, where it isn't really how they are, that it's important to get that message out there. Being yourself is the best way to be. Yeah, I think I think with Hannah, she kind of, you know, there's certain points where she sort of really 
explains how she feels about a subject and she kind of reflects and thinks, wow, that wasn't as hard as I thought it was. And actually that felt quite good. And also the world didn't fall apart when I did it. (laughs) I think there's an element of kind of actually people might respect me if I kind of stand up for myself a little bit more. And actually act like your true self, because I think it's so much more authentic and people can see through when people are trying to act like someone else. Yeah, definitely. And I think you make a really good point, actually, about social media. I think you do see it kind of all the time. People sort of position themselves in a certain way or want to be seen in a certain light. And like you say, I think just being authentic really is the only way you can be long term. I think it must be quite tiring to try and pretend (laughs) all the time. Right. To have two personas. Yeah, definitely. You write in short chapters, which really moves your story along. Is that purposeful? Yeah, definitely. It's kind of, and it's also probably how I, A, like to read books. I really like personally just reading books with fairly short chapters. And I probably end up reading more, which sounds odd because it's kind of that one more chapter, one more chapter. Whereas when they're sort of longer chapters, it depends on the mood. I think if I'm in the mood where I can concentrate, I find longer chapters fine. But often late at night or if I'm tired, I definitely prefer that. And I think as a writer, I almost see the book in scenes in a way, probably quite cinematically. So it's quite natural to kind of almost come in on the action quite late, I suppose, in the scene, and then sort of finish quite early. And for me, that's sort of just how I like the pacing to be. Um, And readers seem to sort of feedback that they enjoy it. So um, it's something I'll be sticking with. (laughs) I hadn't thought about the scenic aspect of it, you know, popping in partway through. But I definitely think when you have short chapters, you're thinking, I can read one more, I can read one more. (laughs) Versus if it's like 10 pages, you're like, oh, can I start another one? And so I was just wondering, I do think it works very well for thrillers. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think with with longer books, it definitely depends on the sort of mood reading. I I definitely don't mind longer chapters depending on the book. But I think, yeah, definitely for a thriller, if people are picking up a thriller because they want something that's, you know, slightly easier to read in a way and they, they want it to be a sort of page turner, I think sort of short chapters are a bit of a must. I think so, too. Well, how about writing your sophomore novel? How was that? Yeah, it was it was a really interesting experience um, because it was written during the pandemic which, yeah, was challenging in lots of ways. So it was really exciting because I had the idea sort of set. So that was good. But yeah, it was just challenging with the children at home. um, And the time I would usually write would be when they were at school. Obviously, that time was taken away. So it was sort of squeezed into my leisure time, which was interesting. But actually, overall, I had to have my sort of deadline extended a few times. But to be honest, I think that probably helped the book. I think had I stuck to this sort of original deadline, I wouldn't have had the time, like you were kind of mentioned before, sort of percolating and thinking about things uh, and researching when things are sort of slightly more hurried, you don't have the headspace. So I think actually probably it helped the novel, even though it's stressful at the time to sort of ask for extra time. Yeah, it definitely helped. But I'm sure they're happy to grant you extra time if you feel like it's truly going to make the novel better. Yeah, definitely. I think for the publisher, it's kind of hard because obviously, you know, the sales teams and it's a big machine and dates are sort of fixed in stone. But I think you know, everyone, you know, including people working in publishing were struggling with sort of timings during the pandemic. So yeah, it sort of worked out fine overall. Well, and there's been so much shifting in the industry with all of the supply chain issues and paper and just everything. So they were probably like, okay, good. We're moving all these other books around. We can move this one as well. Exactly. And it worked out fine. I think we had the sort of paperback coming out and then, yeah, this isn't very long afterwards. And, you know, lots of people that read the paperback are then sort of surprised the second book's coming out so quickly. So yeah, it worked out fine. That does work really nice, I think, because that's the hard part about starting at a series in the beginning is that then you have to wait each year or year and a half, however long it's going to be till the next one comes out. And so if you've just started with the paperback and turn around and the next one's already out, it's so much nicer. 
yeah, it's a really nice feeling, isn't it? To just know that you've got the next one to pick up and <laughs> yeah. Though I do love getting in on the ground floor. I always say it that way because I think it's really fun to start following an author when they write their very first book and then just keep reading them. So there's benefits to both. Yeah, definitely. I know it's interesting. A few people have um, I've sort of chatted with sort of book sort of influences and various things that have actually only read the retreat. So they haven't read the sanatorium, which is really interesting. So they're going to have the experience of reading the second book and then going back to the first. So I'll be intrigued to see what sort of people think after doing that. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting way to do it. I'm not as tied in. I mean, I have read the sanatorium because you and I talked last year, but generally in series, I'm not as tied to having to read every single one. I'm fine to go midway through a series and pick up a book and start reading. But some people really want to start from the beginning. Yeah, no, I'm I'm the same, actually, I have to say. I am like Joe Nesbo's novel, his Harry Hooter detective series, and I don't think I read those in order. And to be honest, it didn't sort of take away from my enjoyment. I think had I been there at the first one, I probably would have done it in sequence. But I think it's quite rare that people do that, you know, kind of read one by one by one. Well, and I don't even always read all of them. I'll just leap in at, you know, book seven or eight and figure, okay, I've caught up. (laughs) Because it's hard to go back. You know, it's a lot of books sometimes in some of these series. (laughs) Yeah. Which which books kind of appeal to you the most? I think definitely from sort of reading the blurb, there's ones that sort of hit you in a series and other ones that maybe don't appeal. So I think it's fine. That's a great point as well. Well, you end up with the very best covers. And I love the cover for the retreat. So let's talk a little bit about how it came about. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, as an author, you don't really have so much say in the cover. That's something that kind of my editor works on. I mean, I think if there's something you strongly dislike about the cover, then you could say, but I have to say, I didn't make any amendments to this cover or sort of say anything because it was just just so atmospheric. You have the island and then you have the smaller sort of islet next to it, which they've captured really well. Um, and they've also captured that sort of really rugged wild side of the island, which I think is brilliant and kind of like the winding path up to the retreat itself. So, um, yeah, I'm hugely pleased with the cover and it kind of nicely follows on from the sanatorium. It's different, but it's also recognisably kind of within the same house, which I think is lovely. And I see there are seagulls. Yeah, there's seagulls. <laughs> yeah, the seagulls. The birds that are the backdrop to this. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I agree with you completely. I love when covers tie together. They're not matching, but you can definitely tell they go together. Yeah. And I think that's something really clever that obviously they think about with the very first book. They think, right, what kind of design style do we have that will work across sort of every novel? And, you know, just the font, I think, in particular, yeah, just works so well. (laughs) I agree completely. Well, before we wrap up, what have you read recently that you really like? Oh gosh, I I'm gonna I keep saying the same book, but I have to say it's probably up there for my sort of book of the year. And I've been lucky enough to read an advanced copy of her next. It's Stacey Williams, A Flicker in the Dark. That's kind of yeah, I read it sort of a few months ago and I've read her next book called The Dangerous Things, and it's set in sort of Louisiana, very swampy, humid environment. And I just love thrillers that are kind of, yeah, for me, sort of transport me. Um, I do love books that are set in the UK, but yeah, that for me is just an environment I know nothing about. And she kind of immerses you in this world, sort of in in um, a flicker in the dark. The main character's father was a, a a killer and you kind of, he's away in prison, but the sort of killer strikes again. So who could be doing this? It's clearly not that person. And oh yeah, it's just everything. I I devoured the book and the second one too. Is it a series? It's not a series, no. I think the ne- the next book as well is kind of, sort of set in a, a similar area and you have that sort of same vibe. But um, yeah, no, it's not, you're not following any particular character. Okay. I've seen a flicker in the dark, but I was, and I knew she had a new book coming out, but I didn't know if they were connected or not. 
Yeah, no, they're just just both brilliant reads. <laughs> Highly recommended. Well, good. Well, thank you. Well, Sarah, as always, it's delightful to talk with you. And I just loved reading the retreat and chatting with you all about it. So thanks for taking the time to come on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to be read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading. reading! Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate your taking the time to listen to my podcast. I want to quickly share about this wonderful company I am now partnering with. I am always looking for entities that promote and highlight books and recently came across book clubs, a company who provides all sorts of resources for established and new book clubs, as well as individual readers. My own personal book club recently signed up on book clubs, and the group has been impressed with all of the great tools the site and app provide. The book club's website is linked in my show notes, and I hope you will check them out soon. Also, if you like my show, I would be so grateful if you would tell everyone you know about it and rate it on whichever platform you listen on. It truly makes a huge difference and really helps the show grow. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront, and that link is also in the show notes. I hope you will check out some other Thoughts from a Page episodes and have a great day. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.